Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Flamingo Sundays podcast, episode 31. Uh, today, guest by chance, actually, superstar in the... Uh, um, what would you call it? What, what, what industry would it be? Beverage the, FMCG. The, the beverage FMCG industry. Um, it was super funny. So, quick backstory. Um, one day I went into 7-Eleven, seen these new, which I thought was energy drinks on the, uh, on the, on the stand. Bought one, tasted really good, like a Red Bull or something. Thought these things got to be fucked. They don't. They sh- good things shouldn't taste like that. Um, and then LinkedIn brought us together, and now I'm sitting here with uh, Steve Chapman, the uh, the man behind Shine. Thanks, man. Good to be here, mate. Great to have you. So um, I guess it wasn't always beautiful drinks and uh, Australia-wide distribution, right? It, there, there was a backstory behind it. Um, so I guess give us your your thirty-second spiel as to to what's you know, brought you to be sitting here yeah, today. Yeah, sure. Um, the short version of the long story, um, you know, very entrepreneurial as a kid, yeah. like the car wash business or the newspaper outs or whatever it was, or importing stuff on eBay from the US and selling it in Australia and all that stuff. Um, everyone's like, you'll be good at business. I was like, what is business? You know, you kind of, entrepreneurship wasn't a word back then. Yeah. So I uh, started at PwC straight from high school because I thought that was the right path for business, a big four accounting firm quickly figured out I was more entrepreneur than accountant and the, the stories of Zuckerberg and Bezos and back then um, the like Branson book was the first book I ever read cover to cover I couldn't read through high school um, so I thought entrepreneurship was was the path and wanted to start something end up building an app that launch went well publicly privately made every mistake you would as a 17 to 20 year old trying to build a business and build an app with no experience uh, doing that, everyone wanted to build apps back then, right? Yeah, the, the, the business plan was to buy, build an app, and sell it to Facebook for a billion dollars. Because uh, Instagram had just done that in 18 months with 11 people in their team. I thought that's a no-brainer. Um, but through that process, man, learned one, I loved entrepreneurship, and it was for me that's what I wanted to do forever. But two, I needed to learn humility through the process. I had made every mistake because I didn't ask for people's help. I didn't figure out where to go wrong. I didn't read the books and do the work required. I just lived the kind of entrepreneurial dream on socials and kind of, you know, went to the events and went networking, but I just didn't put in the work and actually uh, do the hard yards of an entrepreneur. So right. that ended up in, in failure. But this insight of like, how do I learn humility led me to go and I need to do an entrepreneurship apprentice stuff, apprenticeship with uh, someone who's actually built a business before because I was doing a university degree in business at the time and that obviously didn't help me with my first business. It doesn't really give you anything where it says how to build an app with a billion dollars. No, or how to even start a business, right? There was a lot of stuff once it was up and running, how to run it properly and account for it and marketing and, and tax and, and you know all these things happen after the fact the business is successful. Yeah. Uh, but what, what do you do pre-startup? What do you do before you open the doors for the first time? So I ended up uh, through a series of um, hunting down people, found a guy called Dr. Sam Prince who in my opinion, was the most successful young entrepreneur, uh, only about just under a decade older than me. So, you know, young enough to remember what it was like to get started, but old enough and successful enough to really kind of show me the path forward from where I was in, at the time, a pretty dark hole with this failure in my name and identity ruined and I was feeling pretty uh, bad for myself. Uh, right. To then go and how do I build a successful startup and, and run it, go from there. So started a, an apprenticeship with Sam. Uh, he, he owns and runs Zambrero, Mexican restaurants, but non-for-profits, medical um, tech companies and, and franchises, um, hospitality group in the city. So a bunch of different businesses I helped uh, him out initially just as a PA and just getting coffees, water. I was going to ask that, like what's an apprenticeship to an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Not actually an apprenticeship for that. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we kind of came up with the concept as we're going, but it was um, initially just anything I would do to be in the room. 
take notes in meetings, do every email that was sent or do every calendar invite or get coffees or get waters or sandwiches or whatever it was needed just to be around and in the background look and learn and listen to see how these massive million dollar companies uh, were being built, be in the room with Nobel Prize winners and billionaires and just get to listen to how every decision was made for three years across a number of businesses and it was just an incredible experience I would pay for but thankfully got paid a PA's wage to do it. He paid you. Uh, yeah and then went that to more of an executive assistant and then into 2IC I guess across the group of companies and the, the, the plan was to return to the promised land so it was like how do I take all those lessons from Sam uh, but also in that time, that three years, I just went hardcore on you know, personal development, every self-help book, every non-fiction. I think I read over 500 in those years. Fuck, wow. Uh, woke up 424 every day, meditated, gym every day, stopped drinking, went into a bit of a hole with social, like I just didn't see anyone. Went from two and a half thousand friends on Facebook to 200. Um, just went all in on this apprenticeship, man, and just kind of evolved as a human out the other side and then took all those lessons and applied it to the venture we, we now call Shine. So that's that's the story before the Sounds story. Sounds easy, man. Look, you fail an arm, you get out there, meet some dude who's got successful yeah. business. <laughs> Unfortunately, not that easy. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> Good fun along the way. I noticed one thing you said: humility. Like, what, what does what does that word mean to uh, to you now, and maybe what yeah. it meant to you back then? Man, for me, it's a student mindset of like always knowing you could be wrong, always knowing there's someone smarter than you, always knowing, you know, that the way you're doing about it, there could be a way to do it better. Uh, and, and been kind of hungry t to improve. Like there's a concept in our culture deck called Kaizen, which is this Japanese philosophy of continuous Always improvement. Always improving, yeah, yeah. One of my coaches teaches that. Oh, nice. So that's pretty much what we live by. And it, you only can do that if you think you're a student. And I think um, Socrates says, you cannot learn what you already know. And you know, therefore pretend you know nothing, you can learn every, everything. Um, so I took that approach when I was going in Sam, going from an entrepreneur in the papers and I was voted, you know, top five, top 25 young entrepreneurs under 25 and that stuff to then going, I'm going to get sandwiches and be a PA and put that on LinkedIn. You know, that takes some humility. A lot of entrepreneurs won't do that because it look, doesn't, doesn't look good. It doesn't look yeah, shiny. Yeah. It doesn't look what they were posting on Instagram about. Um, but for me, it's probably the number way, number one hack of first time entrepreneurs, I reckon. That's awesome, man. How, how old were you when, I guess, yeah, obviously, we're at PwC, so that would have been post-uni, I'm assuming? Uh, no, I went there from just after HSC, so I was oh, wow. 17, I started at PwC. Wow, okay. I was there so for two and a half years, um, and then I started with Sam just before, just after my 21st birthday, but met him when I was 20. So how, how old were you when the, you started the app? Uh, 19. Wow. And then, yeah, to about just over 20. 21. So you've had a pretty long, pretty long journey in a pretty short time. Yeah, though. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 28 now, so it's it's kind of a decade of, of being an entrepreneur or whatever that word means. Yeah. Um, but figured out, yeah, 10 years ago that that was corporate life wasn't for me, and I was going to get a lot more happiness from uh, building my own dreams. Yeah. And I remember Jim Carrey saying this awesome thing in a commencement speech where his dad was apparently funnier than Jim Carrey. He's like the funniest guy in the world. And he's like, my dad wants to be a comedian. He just never pursued it because he was worried about financial hardship and all the rest of it. So he ended up becoming an accountant and he was like miserable every day for 10, 20 years. And then one day he became redundant anyway and his family got thrown into financial hardship anyway. And then Jim's like, well, if you can fail at something you don't want to do, you might as well fail at something you do want to do. And that was all I really needed to hear back then, which was, you know, my plan A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way to Z should still make me happy. It should still be something worth pursuing versus the backup plan of a white picket fence and a BMW at PwC, but being miserable every day, you know, I thought that shouldn't be an option anymore. So true, right? And so many people think that they have security when they don't, you know, like, yeah. like an accountant, if you work at a big four accounting firm or, you know, a very recent example is Qantas, you know, yeah. it's like, 
Australia's baby, you, you never be made redundant, you know, you got a job there, it's a job for life, and then something that no one knew existed, being yeah. COVID happens, yeah. and all of a sudden 5,000 people lose their jobs. Because all the same structure all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden your safest, safest houses job is yeah. no longer a safest houses. Yeah, in today's world with the gig economy and freelancing and, and the, the ability to just launch a business on a weekend with a Shopify site, you know, I think it's much safer to be able to learn how to, you know, make, earn and generate a, a dollar for yourself versus asking for someone else to do your time exchange of, of money. Yeah, exactly. So let's go back to like pre-app, pre-PWC, pre-you know, university. What what was your childhood like? You know, did you did you come from a, a I guess a, a privileged white Sydney family, as, as um, most people would call it? Well, if, if you look at a global context based, then yeah, absolutely, yeah. very, very, very blessed. Yeah. Um, I went to you know private um, school in, in in North Sydney at Shaw there. Yeah. Um, but you know we weren't towards the top of Shaw, but Shaw's a you know one one percent of the one percent. Joy is a Shaw boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. The re- uh, the reason I asked that question is because something you said around like you know you obviously would have went to a private school had the stigma of like you know young rich white kid and then to go from having an app that failed and then being a PA. Yeah. Like that, that would take a yeah. lot of balls. Yeah. Man, you know, I was like, I think I wrote a 16 page letter to my parents saying I was going to drop out of university to be a PA. <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for the education. Exactly, man. It was an extremely heated topic in my family for, yeah. for a number of years because I knew what I wanted to do. They'd gone, we've just spent, you know, more than $100,000, whatever it is for private school education. You've got into university, you're halfway through, you've had a job at PwC, like what the hell are you doing? Um, you know, all the dreams that they had for me as a young kid were yeah. kind of coming true and I was like dropping them and walking the other way. So uh, that was a tough time for, 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 for the family, but thankfully I backed myself and, and it's worked out for the better. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, before that I was very happy kids, you know, very happy childhood and things like that. Um, had an older brother, was very competitive, he gave me a worthy competition at a young age. But dad was a small business owner. Like I just remember him working so hard. My both my parents were yeah. um, small business, worked for themselves. You know, just every time I remember as a kid thinking where dad was, he was in the office. Like the only time I'd see him on a Sunday around the boardroom table in his office, and then it would be like I've got twenty minutes to tell him all the things I've done at school and try and impress him, and I get this chip on my shoulder to try and get acceptance and love from you know the patriarchal family unit of, of a father figure so i think that definitely drove me quite early to achieve in, in school and sports and things uh and that's something that you you know you, you live with forever what what business was um was your father in? was it an accountant uh no 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 he, he did a bunch of things he was uneducated he was went to vietnam he was a farm boy initially wow. so he was just literally hard work and hustle to get where he got to. But it was, you know, it was a salesman from Xerox and then he started a, a printing business and then he started a, a scanning business where he just scan all these papers, which I used to do on summer jobs uh, from different companies, insurance companies, et cetera, to get them into, you know, online systems. Back then in the 90s, it was all the rage. And then that went into, you know, document automation and things like that. So yeah, right. Okay. Uh, software, but some, some hard printing and scanning. Yeah, right. Okay. So what, what sort of drove you like, you know, you're only 28 now, so you're super young. Yeah. Um, what drove you to go out and, and, and do the app? You know, like to, to be an accountant at PwC and then go, fuck, you know, I've got no idea. Let's build an yeah. app. You know, like it's, yeah, as I said, man, I didn't read any books through high school and my brother always called me an idiot, like dyslexic and things like that. And <laughs> I just say he was like smashing down Harry Potters in a weekend and I was like, couldn't get past the first chapter. And it just, I realized that, you know, in hindsight, it was just wasn't interesting to me, but I picked up Branson's book for the first time, his autobiography, and I just read it cover to cover. And I was like, what just happened? Like, 
how do I get so immersed in this because I just found myself in the story. Right. I resonate with all this. I was like, wow, you can, as a you know, high school or as a university student, go and start a newspaper, go sell some stuff, build some dreams and, and pursue what you really want to do. So I saw that. You know, I also saw Zuckerberg just buy Instagram for a billion dollars. Like, that's pretty cool. I'd like to do something like that. <laughs> uh, and you know, this guy, Zuckerberg at the time was 26 and he'd created a business and a platform a billion people globally were using. Like, it just ticked over that billion dollar billion um, person user base. And I was like, that is incredible. Like, I, I, it scares me, but I think I could do it. And that's what sort of drove you to go, let's go build an app. Where, did you, where do you start? Like, uh, when you, if someone said you go build an app, I'd be like, uh, I'd ring someone, I know. Google, man. <laughs> yeah, you Google it, how do you build an app? Uh, and that's pretty much what I did. And then you find a developer, you find a designer, you, you, you get the scope doc out. And, but man, I didn't know anything back then. I didn't know how to do it, but I thought and pretended like I did because you watch Social Network with Zuckerberg and you go, attitude and hoodie, you know, like that's what I need to be. So I just didn't ask for people for help. I didn't, you know, actually figure out what the difference is between design and development. So like I had my developers actually design the logo and the user interface and, you know, all this stuff, which is so critically important to app now, you, you know that, but back then, um, I just didn't have the skills or knowledge to, to implement. And do you think, I guess, knowing what you know now, if you could take all that knowledge and, and wisdom back to being that age yeah. and doing that app, do you reckon the app would be a different story now? 100%, yeah. It would be, one, there's, there's a concept around like just obsessing with the space and figure out who's done this well before and learning from other people's mistakes. Like any idiot can learn from their own mistakes. The yeah. true competitive advantage comes from the mistakes of others yeah. and leveraging that. And that's something I learned from Ryan Holiday um, with Ego is the Enemy, which is a great book I read through that time. Um, so yeah, I'd find out who's done it well. I'd talk to them. I'd, I'd knock down every door I could find about how to build apps. I'd read every blog post. I'd follow the guys who are the, the experts in the space. I'd get some of them on my advisory board. You know, I would do it completely different than sit in a dark room by myself, pretending like I know how to build an app. And then, Doing Instagram uh, stories, going hustle. Well. Yeah, and yeah. hope it goes well, man. So it's, it's, it's chalk and cheese how I go about entrepreneurship now and startup versus when I went back then. And that's the power of this intervention of the apprenticeship and also just experience and, and, and hard work. And life, yeah, right. So what sort of drove you? Obviously, that would have, that would have happened. You probably would have been down in the dumps of yourself. Yeah. Um, at the time, you would have thought, this is the end of my life. What am I going to do? Yeah, there's a hole. There's a dark abyss. Um, how did you then go from that to go like, fuck, let's lift myself out of this hole. Let's stop potentially being something that I'm not or pretending that you know, yeah. I'm this super successful dude when I'm not. And then like going to the apprenticeship of... of you know. It was that insight of humility and how I got that was just through um, Ray Dalio has this algorithm for life pretty much, which is like pain plus reflection equals progress. I've seen that. Yeah, it's incredible. And I was like, got the pain. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> that one on there. Uh, what's the reflection? Like, yeah. like, let me go into it. Like, how did I possibly end up in this situation? Like, I was had all the things going for me externally and I believed that external vision. And what I do really, you mean by that? What do you mean like all the things externally you know, going for you? smart and I was a good salesman and I, you know, academic and it's networks and, you know, already the app was taken off with downloads and press and that kind of stuff. So, you know, externally I, I, I could have and I should have been able to leverage those type of things to make it work. But yeah. internally I wasn't, I wasn't matching the external persona with internal work. Right. Um, so I wasn't ready for it, man. And what, what, when you say internal work, like obviously self-awareness, yeah, man, what are my flaws? Where, like, I'm no one's perfect. Like, everyone has so much more they can improve than what they're good at. Yeah. So, you know, what was I actually poor at? How do I cover those skills? How do I learn for those skills? And then, how do I know my strength to back my strengths? Um, yeah. So, man, it was just zero self-awareness because I had this ego. It was like blinding me to both the strengths, but also the weaknesses. And the weaknesses came undone and, and end up catching me up. Yeah, sure. And then. 
How do you go, obviously you would have met some people through doing the app, and, yeah. you know, you, you, I'm sure you got a lot of attention like you said. How do you then go from you know, being a kid who has a failed app to then going and finding probably one of Australia's most successful CEOs, right? Like yeah. Sam Burrow is not a small company. Yeah, massive. Um, it, will, it was, I think, one, my persistence. <laughs> uh, two, again, I was, I was in that hunger zone of like, how do I get out of this? And I was really hungry to get out of it. And, I'd tracked down who Sam was. I'd figured out where, you know, who his social groups were and things like that. I, there was one mutual friend we had and I, and I got him to get Sam to an event that I would be at. I knew Sam didn't drink because I'd done my research. So then I wasn't drinking. So like the two sober people always end up chatting at any party. And then we end up hitting off and talking about entrepreneurship and hip hop. And, and then my like credibility at the time wasn't, wasn't bad for Sam in terms of I was 20 at the time, like what I'd done in terms of PwC already for two and a half years and I'd built this app and had been in the top five in, in the app store and Huge, got yeah. all this press and stuff like that. So from Sam's perspective, it's not a bad bet to go, he's probably got some potential if he's guided in the right direction, he could probably do something with it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, Sam was, and he's such a good teacher, he's such a good coach, he loves giving back. And he said and I was only really, 10 years older, right? So yeah, he would have been 30, he would have been 30, you would have been 10 Yeah, he's just under, just under 30. So, and, and yeah, so he loves giving back and I was a really good student. So it was a really good, there's an old quote where the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And um, I was definitely ready at that time and I was so open to coaching and learning. And, and he was at the time of his life where he'd done enough that he was keen to give back as well, his time and, and, and experience. Right, and then from that. But like, I had a bunch of other mentors at the time as well. Right. Because I was trying to track down Sam. Um, some, some awesome guys who gave me some first book recommendations and things like that. But I realized they were all giving me different advice. So I'd get one coffee with one guy at the start of the month and he would tell me to go do this. Yeah. And I would run in that direction super hard for 20 days. And I'd get a coffee with someone else 20 days later and they would say, hey, go do this. So I'd be running around 20 different directions, making no progress. And so it's like, I need to commit to one. And what, what did you learn from that, right? Because there's a stigma out there and I'm sure you share it and I share the same thing. It's like, you should go and get mentors. Go and, like you said, learn from people who have been there and done it, 100%. learn from their mistakes. Um, and it sounds like you took that on board when you were young, but you were, you were trying to seek you know, everyone's advice. Yeah. Do, do you feel like now, um, maybe it's best to have one or two mentors? One, one. single-minded. Yeah. Like, like the apprenticeship needs to be so intense that it evolves you as a human being. Right. You need to be such single-minded pursuit of one that you cut off other alternatives. And by that you manifest one thing. If you try and be everything, you, you'll be nothing. And you know, if you want to catch a rabbit, chase one. If you catch three, you're not gonna catch any. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was super important realization of like, I need to commit, put myself out there, be accountable and be judged on the outcome. Because if you never commit to anything, you can never be judged on it. And I think that's a lot of people's internal fear that holds them back is if you put it out there, you commit to one path, and you cut off other alternatives, aka dropping out of PwC, dropping out of university, you know, closing down the app, etc. I was, I was all in, like I was committed to so much because I'd bet, bet my whole reputation on that. That was already a damaged reputation that I was really trying to get hard uh, to, to kind of climb back uh, out of that abyss. Right, um, would you say you, you, your mentorship, um, what was he, what was the guy's name? Sam. Sam um, changed I guess your life in terms 100%. of like where you are right now. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. There was an intervention at that point in time. It was one my um, my now wife. We've been together for eight years, and and Sam, um, you know, my parents and stuff like that did an incredible job raising me. My dad's belief, and he and he invested into that app. Yeah. Um, and things like that. But ultimately, the two things that were the biggest changes to my life was Sam and uh, my now partner. So I had that stable, ordered, comfort zone at home to go recover to, 
which I wasn't then out as a normal 20 year old kid on the town and I was able to remove myself from all of those social situations. And then on the work front, I had this unbelievable growth opportunity to pursue you know, the chaos of entrepreneurship and step into the unknown you know, to be able to back myself uh, to learn from Sam. So that was yeah, the two biggest things. So did you have that typical late teens, early 20s sort of party? Yeah, I was running nightclubs for a couple of years. Really? Yeah. You look like a guy who runs nightclubs actually. Yeah, well, I was. standing on the door doing that. Yeah, Come on in. yeah, it was. It was. Uh, that's how I met my now wife, actually. <laughs> that's cold. Yeah, you, the one job of the nightclub is you look after the pretty girls, and that's that. I was literally going to say that. I was like, yeah, what are you three guys? No, you're like, oh, six girls. Come yeah, on in. Yeah, we're, we're not a capacity a, anymore. I tried to get her a free drink, and she's like, no thanks, get my own. And I was like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, like I work here, that I've got a tab, etc. She's like, no, I don't think you understand. I'll get my own. I was like, all right, challenge accepted, and. So far, so good. <laughs> Eight years in. Yeah. Have you got the free drink yet? Uh, yeah, I've got a few. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of drinks. Yeah. Okay, so like you obviously went through that scene, right? That's, 100%. You, you would have been a young guy and probably quite a successful young guy, you know, having the app and yeah, all that type yeah. of stuff. H- how did you remove yourself from, you know, just tough. going down that path? Because it's just so standard, right? Like it's like you go out in the town and if you don't go out in the town because you're sick or something happens, you look on your Instagram and your Facebook yeah. and everyone's out there, there's pretty girls, yeah, there's booth, missing out. bottles and models and all the rest of it. Like how did you sort of remove yourself from that and go, well, this is, this is my focus? Um, I think it was two parts. One, it was the ability to, like I had, like if your whole community is doing one thing and you've got no other community to join on the other, on the other side, like it's just you or a group of, social connections like we're very social beings we love human connection so you need an alternative group or community or identity to adopt if you're going to abandon an old one so i had sam and i had now his networks and and connections and we became very very close friends so i had a reason and then i had lauren my wife to then remove myself from the social situation but then have another one i had a new community and you had entrepreneurs around me had um that's why you know we know through some eo members as well you've got you've got other like-minded people on the same path who weren't drinking, who were talking about entrepreneurship, talking about ideas, talking about startup and podcasts and all these things. So um, I just went all in on that new community, but man, it was, it was tough. I lost friends. Like I've still got friends today. I don't talk to that. Um, you know, I wouldn't go to their parties. I wouldn't go to their birthdays. Um, and it, they, you know, rightfully so were, were shitting me. I was being a bad friend to them. How did Lauren feel when you started to say, babe, no more nightclubs. Come on, we're at home now. <laughs> nah, she, she's like, she's that, you know, already like really, yeah, yeah. She yeah, well, was ran, by chance kind of there. She rocked up at the nightclub for the first time and met. Yeah, like well, she was just she's from the country, small town, so wow. she was like just meeting new friends and things like that. Yeah, uh, in Sydney, but yeah, her she's very like a home creature. She's very ordered and things like that. So um, she was a perfect fit for my kind of chaotic personality. Um, that wasn't the time. It's so funny, man. Like it's, it, when people say like life happens for you, not to you, like things like yeah. that. Like doesn't go to nightclubs, randomly went out, you met her, and it's like now you now you're yeah. eight years later. It's so yeah, fun. exactly. Um, so obviously you would you would have went through all that. You, you went through your your traineeship or your mentorship with mm-hmm. um, with Sam. When when did you sort of go? Okay, well I've been here for three or three and a half years. How long it was? Now it's time to take another leap into. Yeah. You know, Man, to Sam's boss. credit, I think, you know, it's as much as him going, hey, mate, I think you're ready to me going, you know, I think I've learned as much as I can on a day-to-day basis from Sam. Like, Sam by the end and I were like 99% of it lined on decisions by the end. Like, if he was in a room or not in a room, we'd make the same call. Right. So wow. that's where we got to where, so then I could be in different rooms and then you've almost just duplicated Sam at that point in time. 
um, which is great from his perspective and being able to scale himself and things like that. But Lewis was actually saying today, I need to clone myself. <laughs> you kept yeah. hanging around with me, boys. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's 100% what I think you need to do early days in the apprenticeship because then you can fully adopt all the lessons and then over time you can integrate yourself back in where you go from 100% Steve, 0% Sam, to then 100% Sam to 0% Steve. And then year two was like maybe 70-30 and then 50-50 and then you know, 2080, and then now there's you know a bit of Sam DNA that's always going to be in me. Um, but it's now my own style of Sam's lesson. It's my own integrated self with all of his teachings and experience and things like that. So um, I think there's the adoption over time. But we we both kind of realised like I wanted to return to the promised land. I'm always an entrepreneur at heart, so I, I want to be able to run my own thing and yeah. grow my own team and products and things like that. So. But he was also going, hey man, like it's it's time. So we, we kind of, you know, Sam ended up coming up with the initial idea for going, hey, we should do this in a drink. And then it evolved from there to what is Shine today. And uh, what is Shine today? Uh, Australia is, you know, pretty much one of the number one selling better for you drinks in right. the country. We're in about uh, 5,000 outlets, over 16,000 distribution points, Coles National, 7-Eleven National, um, all the major PNCs, all the major national retailers pretty much. Um, we're a nootropic drink, so it's pretty much these age-old ingredients that put a, um, you know, energize and awaken the mind. Turmeric, ginkgo biloba, ginseng, green tea, B vitamins, all the good stuff for the mind to keep you sharp. It's like a better for you than a Red Bull or a coffee. So it's like, it's like a, a healthy and non-illegal substance for your body that yeah. most, most people use. Yeah, you know, there's study drugs and, yeah. and, and nootropics and modafinil and these things that people who you know, want to have a big day in the office and be mentally sharp the whole time, which we went down a rabbit hole and I did particularly uh, with another guy called Andrew who helped me start Shine um, around what are the ingredients that you can actually take to help you improve cognitive function. And we had a drawer full of them and every day we'd put some more stuff in a tea or a coffee or a water and <laughs> see what works and see what didn't work and we're like, oh, that worked, that, well, that's too intense, I couldn't sleep for two days. and. <laughs> Uh, you end up with all many of those nights can't sleep for two days let me tell you <laughs> yeah so you end up you know self-experimenting all these times and uh, you figure out there's no healthy natural version of this in a drink there's energy drinks which are full of artificials full of natural um, you know caffeine and sugar which everyone I've spoken to who drank energy drinks were like I know they're not good for me but I need to pick me up yeah that was so funny because the first time I had that like I was so intrigued when I seen it in the show because every time I go to the petrol station I put fuel in my car and I'm like oh, I'm gonna get a drink so, you know, mm. it's a standard thing and I went to the fridge and I seen this but the first one was all yellow right yeah. was, was it a chrome bottle no but it was a bit taller than these ones yeah, yeah it was a 400 mil I remember that and I was like I'm gonna try this thing and then I had it I said so they had a word brain and I was like I had it and I was like this it's just a rock star energy in a different bottle. Yeah, yeah, no man, that's a, it's good insight because we we wanted to not sacrifice flavor for health. Yeah. If you think about a lot of the other better for yous, coconut water, kombuchas, you know, they definitely taste a bit healthier. You know, that's sometimes a good thing because you're looking for something different, not a you know sugary sweet type of beverage. But the number one bit in the research is people buy on flavor and definitely on repeat purchases. So you got to make it taste nice at the right. end of the day. As much as the clean label looks good for first purchase and it might appeal to someone, it's got to taste good over time. So we always wanted to go, how do you make it taste as good as a you know soft drink or an energy drink, but healthy, natural, low sugar um, and, and good for you. So how do you go from an app, an account, and a, a PA essentially. Yeah, some nightclubs. Yeah, some nightclubs, met the wife. And then, you know, like starting essentially an, an energy, a healthy energy. Yeah, drink. beverage company. Yeah. Like, 
Obviously, uh, it was Sam a lot of would have Yeah, Sam would have helped with the having the hospitality sort of background. Yeah, uh, to be honest, it's, yeah, it was a whole new industry for, for both of us. Yeah. Um, it was a learning curve, man. It was, it was, the, it was we, you know, we manufactured our first bottles in a garage in Melbourne in our little shot. But it was what I kind of said before, it was obsession around who'd done this before successfully. Who are the people in the space we can learn from? Let's get them around us as advisors yeah. and figure out how do the most successful do this, not how to first timers do this. So we end up having, you know, the ex-CEO of Nudie around the table, guys who'd sold companies overseas for billions of dollars to Dr. Pepper, you know, guys who'd sold their companies to Coke, you know, the ex-MBs of Coke, you know, the guys who started Red Bull in Australia was quite helpful early days. Wow. Like, it was just obsession to figure out who had done this before successfully. And that's awesome. And that's like going back to, like you said, you know, getting people around you who've done it before. Yeah, because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, how do I leverage their, their experience? Um, and letting go of ego, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I fucking know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I was there kissing the ring and yeah. just going, hey, I'm here to learn. I'm like hungry humble, I'm smart, like what you're telling me is gonna actually make an impact on the product. And like all of us, we wanna be seeing the inherent beauty in things we help curate. So if I give anyone advice and then they go implement it, I feel super proud of that. I wanna get, I see, I'm now inherited in their success as well. Yeah. Um, so then they open doors and they give you more feedback if you actually implement what they say. So true, and I think what a lot of young people that I talk to, is like people actually don't realize if you ask a question, people will help. You know, yeah. like so Chris Gray was my first mentor yeah. who you know yeah, through yeah, yeah. Um, And the only reason I built this is literally because of him. And yeah. I just seen him through Facebook or Instagram or something, started to go to his seminars, reached out to him. Yeah. You know, I was like, fuck this 50 year old dude's not gonna help yeah. me if I was Lamborghinis and you know, has boats. Yeah. And like, you know, he was constantly replying to me on Facebook, yeah. he invited me on a boat. Like, it's like people like that, they don't need any more money, right? They don't need any more success. They've got everything they need. And I think what makes a lot of people feel better about themselves is helping other people. Yeah, right? provides meaning, provides value, makes them feel like good humans. Yeah. Um, and nine times out of 10 people respond and say yes. I get maybe one or two now a week, people going, hey mate, can I have some advice? Can I have a cup of coffee? Can you give me a book recommendation? Like nine times out of 10, yeah, absolutely man. Yeah. Here's a 20 minute phone call. Like if you, if I give you a bunch of advice and then you don't do anything about it and then ask me again in a month's time, I'm probably gonna say no. But if you take it, come back with what it helped or it didn't help and this is what you learned from it, and here's another question, I'm gonna give it again. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did with Sam. He ended up, you know, early days giving me a book list recommendation because that's one of my first questions I get uh, back then. I was obsessed with reading. And he gave me um, a massive book. Uh, and I went and read it and like, he's like, you're the first person that actually <laughs> read the book. Uh, of course you can have another coffee. Of course, you know, I'm gonna give you some more book recommendations. So, um, was it a helpful book where you did it as like a test to say, see, yeah. this is Curry's a shit book? No, he was, it was a really good book. It was um, Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, right. it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a famous book um, on the kind of capitalist mindset, um, which is more of a balanced view between the both of us now, and it's quite a controversial book. But at the time, it's, it's, a, it's a big book. It takes, it takes a, a marathon to get through. So, right. Um, but it was, it was just showing that I was going to be willing to listen to his advice, put it in action, and come back for more. And that's really what I guess any mentor wants to see. Yeah, for sure. So. Obviously, you start a company. Did you come up with a name first or what? And there it is, um, sexy drink. Yeah. No, the name actually came after. We came up with the whole concept, almost the whole marketing, the whole business plan, all the rest of it, but we couldn't crack the name for, for a long time. And we ended up getting a, a marketing agency and a brand agency, gave them the whole vision, the whole plan, the whole thing. And first me and they came back and said shine. And we're like, oh, you've done it. <laughs> you nailed it, man. Yeah. It was just such a good name. How many hundreds of thousands of dollars was that name worth? Nah, it was 16 grand. Oh, um, that's all right. For the whole brand and, and the name and the colors and, and the custom font and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, Cheaper than Henderson. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. There Mark, you go. What I've learned with marketing agencies is yeah. 
everything you do is expensive. Yeah, they'll, they'll fleece you if you give them the chance. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but no, these guys were, were these guys were amazing, and they they gave us they gave us you know a look and feel and and ultimately a business model because once you know the look and feel, then you can do it the rest. So yeah. Um, that's and where to from there? So you obviously created the drink. You've got the yeah. We figured out how to manufacture a beverage. Um, found someone in Melbourne to manufacture it through one of the advisors that knew of someone who had a little shot line in their garage. Right. And we're like, perfect. That's enough to get enough to test it online to see if you know MVP style of test the assumption do people want to drink to help with the brain. Um, end up creating 150 cases in seven packs um, for one for, one for a day. We did some, you know, pre-Facebook advertising, some email stuff, uh, some blog writing. Launched online, one July, twenty sixteen. We sold out in thirty two hours. Wow. Um, who, 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 so when you like launched out there, were you going to like influencers and stuff like that, or uh, not with the first launch? That was we built up an email list through blogs, and then targeting the blogs to our demographic around nootropics, around mental performance, around focus tips, yeah, tips that smart. stuff. So we had about a thousand people in our database. Right. Launched that, fifteen percent roughly bought. No, no. Some people bought a couple of cases, but yeah, it was about ten percent conversion rate on that email database um, when Huge. we first launched. Yeah. And they were like, people want it. Did it again three months later. Sold out again. People want it. So we then tied offline. We started literally between one p.m. and five p.m. if not later every day for maybe eight months and just hitting the streets to talk into cafes. Really? Um, you know, just pick a street in the suburb that was high density for our population. Um, and then just go talk to the, the cafe. Or Newtown the, the was a place, I'm sure. Bondi, Manly, Newtown, Surrey Hills, yeah. City, you know, all the rest of it, Northern Beaches. Um, and then just pretty much said, hey, here's a case of Shine. Come back in four or five days. If it's sold enough, then, you know, go buy another case. If it hasn't sold, I'll pick it up and you keep the money for whatever you sold. And nine times out of 10, that worked. And they then reordered and we built up about 800 stores doing that. Yeah. Um, Oz Post deliveries or me dropping off myself or the other guys we had or interns. Uh, you know, you end up chasing all the money, they never end up paying and it's, it's a nightmare. But at least it showed us people wanted this product. It was selling once we put it down and we validated the idea. So we then ramped up to multi-site operators and we ramped up to some trials in national chains. Like, you know, it's all a leverage game. Find one thing, make it work, get that data, leverage that, get the next level, level up, level up. And we end up getting some trials in Caltex, 50 stores. That did really, really well. National launch in Caltex, that did really, really well. That's the number one selling drink that year that they launched as, in terms of new drinks. Just right behind already kombuchas and, and that kind of whole better for you drink space was really taken off with kombucha. Yeah. Leverage that data, got 7-Eleven, leverage that data, got Coles Express, um, and then end up opening up doors into Coles and Woolworths and now we're national Coles and, and most, most retailers in the country. So Huge. Um, How many bottles of shine do you sell a week? Do you know that data? Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So you obviously started off doing some shine in a uh, garage, and now it's yeah, well, yeah, it's probably on our fifth manufacturing partner now. Wow. So we garage to um, the guys who run the shots. Then we got another one who run the carbonated drinks. We then went to another one, and then we've just recently moved to the, the fourth one. Um, and we've got a new one. People launching can soon. Right. So we've got another manufacturer partner coming on board. And you know, it's obviously a. An Australian-wide organisation now, where you know you're 28, it's a yeah. long life to go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what's the uh, what's what's sort of the end goal? Or Man, I think we could build a Red Bull. I see no reason why we can't in yeah. terms of the health trend we've got, the product quality that we have. It ticks all the boxes. Um, ultimately, I like to build Australia's biggest beverage company that's come out of Australia and go national and international. Um, New Zealand will happen in the next couple of months, and then it's you know US, UK is, is the, the 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 main prize. Yeah. Um, from a FMCG business, just the size of your population is 10 times more in the US. 
And I think where we're at would be the biggest nootropic drink globally, but there's a few now starting in the US and they're probably one or two years behind us. So I don't want to miss the boat too much on it. Right, okay. So US is something that's in the very near future. Yeah, I've got a lot of, lot of advisors and, and contacts over in the US that you know, hopefully will help us out once we're, once we're ready to go. But there's also a lot of, lot of um, meat left on the bone in Australia as well. Right. It's not a small, small country. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, I've heard Warren Buffett talk about Coke before. That's why he loves Coke so much. He's like, if Coke lifts their you know, price per can or something by one or two cents, they'll all of a sudden their profit margin yeah. from X to Y. It's a big like, number game. It's huge, right? It's all volume. So, like, when you're working something like this out, it's probably for my benefit more than anyone else's. Like, do you work it out like 26 million people? Surely not every single person in the country is going to drink shine, yeah. right? How do you work out like what I guess the capacity is like when? Is there a number? Is there a yeah, percentage? Like energy like, drinks in Australia do about 1.2 billion. Wow. Soft drinks as a total. Sold? Yeah. 1.2. No, a billion sales. Revenue, year. right. Okay. Um, the, the total soft drink market to carbonate drinks in Australia is about 5 billion. Right. Um, so if you're talking 1.2, even again 10% market share in Australia, you can get 120 million in sales if you're taking it from energy drinks. Yeah. Health drinks in Australia is worth about 300 million. Um, and what's the class as a health drink? Kombuchas at the moment, yeah, right. coconut waters, juices. And that's where we're growing at quite a rapid Yeah, it's 58% right? per year. Wow. All from Byron Bay, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> Melbourne's pretty good as well. Yeah, uh, right. Sydney, Sydney's, you know, we represent Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, look, it's a pretty incredible journey, right? It's, your, it's obviously the start of what's going to be yeah, quite man, we're a huge, started. huge journey. Um, if you were to look back, obviously we've, we've spoken a lot about this, but if you were to look back, say like 2021, you've just come out of high school, mm -hmm. probably not going to go back to PwC, that's for sure. Like, what would you do differently? Like, is, is there some really key learnings where you're like, you know, if you could tell a 22 year old, like this is what I've learned in my 10 year journey mm -hmm. of business so far, yeah. do these things and I'm sure it's going to help. What, what would, what Matt, would it would have to be commit fully to a mentor. Really? Find one that you actually aspire to be like. Um, and learn as much as you can. And maybe it's six months, maybe it's 12 months, maybe it's three years, that's a personal journey. But I think people underestimate more than anything the ability to learn from some other people's mistakes and the willingness that they will tell you them. Um, I think that was the biggest, as I said, change in my life around learning from someone smarter than myself, having the humility to know that you're not the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And then the hunger to go find people smarter than you. Um, yeah. So I'd do that, I would obsess about learning you know, I would actually read the books. I would find out something that you're passionate about. I'd find self-awareness. One of the earliest things I did with Sam was create like a value set. Um, so for example, this ring here has eight, it's a, it's a um, eight different angles. They're all my different values that I reflect on each day to then making sure I'm aligned with my values as I'm building and as I'm going on this journey, I want to make sure I'm doing the right way. Because a lot of people climb a mountain as fast as they can, get to the top and realize it's not what they wanted. They, they did it by stepping on people's shoulders, etc., and feel like shit when they got to the top, and they're unhappy and unfulfilled, and but we're very wealthy, and that's that's not what you want. So you want to be able to make sure you're going on the path the way that you want to do it. And I think it's as much people often these days go like it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. I don't believe that. I think as we're young kids, we always go it's all about destination, doesn't matter about journey. I think it's a balance of both. I think they. Destination is super important. Pick something that's super, super exciting for you that you would be absolutely amazed if you got, but don't pin your happiness on it. Right. Then go, how do you actually want to be throughout the journey? Because it's going to take, if it's worth pursuing, it's going to take a few years. It's going to take a few decades maybe. Yeah. So then you want to make sure each day you're showing up in the way that you feel happy and fulfilled. And to be honest, it's I always talk about this jury test. Like you want to be on the stand 
in front of a whole public people of your peers, for example, and you want to be asked about every single decision and you want to be able to stand there and just be like proud of how you did the journey. You want to be yeah. able to tell your kids about it and recommend they do it the same way. So all self-aware enough, right, to go, well, I did this and it was funny at the time. It looked better yeah. now, I probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't do it again. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I want to be proud about how I go about things and I'm also trying to pursue some scary and ambitious goals that, for me, that, that's what makes me excited. Yeah. That's why I do Ironman or that kind of stuff. And big, what are they, big, hairy, audacious goal? Yeah, yeah, from yeah. Jim Collins. Yeah. Um, what about sobriety? We spoke briefly about sobriety. I'm doing my year of sobriety at the moment. Yeah. You said you've sort of jumped on that uh, a few years ago yeah. now and it sort of changed your life. How do you think something like sobriety has changed your life so much? Yeah, man, I think it's changed my relationship with alcohol, but also I think alcohol is this substance that everyone uses all the time to make them kind of either escape from the current moment or deal with some anxieties or underlying issues that they know they're not kind of happy with. Very few, very few situations are really just about joy of expression of the moment, for example. It's usually for other problems that they're overtaking. So, like, I personally found so much benefit from, you know, I stopped drinking for three, four years, maybe two to three years. Um, and now, as I said, I only have a drink occasionally at a special moment, but it changed my relationship from going, every time I catch up with friends, I need to drink, um, to I have no desire socially to drink, and I'm fine with myself in able to engage in the level of conversation that satisfies me as well yeah. um, and be you know super authentic and super present with people but not needing not needing alcohol to do it and not waste you know three quarters of your of your life feeling hungover or shit or man. like happiness is borrowing like drinking is borrowing happiness from tomorrow which so true. said that so yeah um, I, I 100% agree with that every time I, I do it I'm like I reminded why I don't do this <laughs> yeah it's so true, right? You always, that's just, we, I did 100 days of sobriety last year, got to the end of October when it finished, and I was like, you're sort of excited to have another drink, right? Well, I was anyway. And then the first time you did it, I was like, oh, it's yeah. not what it's cracked up to Yeah, like, why'd you do that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, man, I, I think and it's... And there was many more of those nights, don't worry, after that. And then I was like, I need a year of sobriety now. I think <laughs> I've never met someone who's done it, and then at the end of a year, for example, or an extended period of time, they're like, that wasn't amazing and I didn't feel the best I've ever felt. I wasn't the most productive I've ever been. And it forces you to be productive outside of work. Yeah. Um, you know, they talk about, okay, when you're scheduled on in school and university and work, it's pretty easy to be disciplined. Like you get so punished if you're not disciplined and you're not doing the right thing, you're gonna lose your job. But like when you've got absolute freedom to do what you want, what are you doing then? Like when are you doing when no one's looking? Like what are you doing with your time and are you being productive then in your free time? And if you don't have any purpose outside of work, you're gonna be like, all right, well, I've got off time, I'm just gonna drink until I get back to work time. Yeah. And I think that's such a waste of a third of people's life. Uh, if you go kind of sleep a third and work a third, you've got this other third. What are you doing that actually makes you happy, joyful, meaningful, that brings you closer? And you know, I think a lot of people go, how do I be really productive? And then when they're kind of off, they're not recovering, ready to be back on. They're like now just being, more damaging in a in a negative way. So then, when yeah. they when they need to be productive on Monday morning, they haven't spent the weekend like recovering and ready to go and and kind of um, set themselves up for success. They come in, in tired. They take a couple of days to get back into it, and then it's you know you just lose Friday them. again, and you're yeah. back on the horse. So it's you, so true. Yeah, that's what I noticed. Progress for tomorrow. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, you, you spend so much of your time either recovering or you're always recovering right you, you you have two or three good days of the week and the rest of the time you're either yeah on the piss or recovering from yeah yeah i wrote an article about the money you save the health benefits you know you just got so much more time it doesn't well. make sense why you know why people do do it but i guess it's social norm so social lubricant yeah for sure um what about like 
I guess, success to you. It's probably changed a lot, right? From when you started the Apple, it was like, let's do a billion dollar company, let's yeah. exit that bad boy, and let's yeah. go and, you know, have models and bottles like most people think. Yeah. Um, what does it look like to you now? Because, you know, I think for a lot of people externally, you look successful, right? You've got an energy drink company or a healthy, healthy drink company. But then I know for myself, you you probably look at things like Red Bull and Rockstar and it's like, I'm so far away from- Yeah, just gonna start. And I'm the same, right? It's like you, people look at you and you're like, oh, they're successful. But then you're, you're always looking at someone more successful. Yeah. How do, you, how do you define that now? Like, how do you look at that? And, and when, I guess a lot of people think successful or you're, when you're successful, it comes. It's not yeah. you know, a part of being. Yeah, exactly. And this is, I think, that destination journey. Uh, conversation where I think don't pin success to destination yeah. but have very meaningful goals so for me for example with entrepreneurship I know it's like just what I love doing it's just what I do you couldn't pay me to do it I'll just keep doing it like still trying tomorrow I'll do another thing tomorrow Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have time off because it's, it's what I actually really love doing so for me I want to play entrepreneurship at the highest level I, like whatever that means I look at entrepreneurship as a team sport Yeah. Um, it's not about for example personal net worth on a list um, I, Kobe Bryant's a massive uh, inspiration to me and he was the highest paid player towards the end of like the last three, four years. LeBron was probably arguably a better player at the time, but Kobe was still getting paid double, but he was still so hungry, not because he was getting paid heaps and he could relax, it's because he hadn't got enough championships. And for an NBA player, for example, it's all about having championships to be in the discussion of the greatest of all time. And Michael had six and he wanted six or, or more. I think he wanted 10 when he started his journey. Um, but an entrepreneurship, I think, you know, how do you create value to the to the world ultimately? And that's how we kind of get company values. You put more out, which is valued at X good. So for me, it's all about creating as much value as I can um, and do that through team sports. And then how to become an amazing leader? How do I become a really good, you know, entrepreneur that brings people together towards a shared vision and make sure they're having a good time doing it? Awesome, man. So it's, yeah, create some great companies, change people's lives, unlock their potential uh, with whilst they're working for me and then hopefully they can go on and do amazing things as well. So good. Man, it's been a very, very inspirational chat. I uh, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.